Welcome to Denver Sports Tonight. Taking a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. From your online home for the best opinions and information on the Broncos, Nuggets, Avalanche, Rockies, and more. DenverSports.com. And it is Denver Sports Tonight on this Friday night in the Mile High City. He's Andrew Basin. I'm Will Peterson. Roll with you for an hour to take you into the weekend. Sure, everyone worked really hard this weekend or this week, Mace, earning this weekend after, uh, you know, I know not everyone, but some folks, some folks had a nice little four, uh, four days off. Get used to these three day work weeks, right? Yeah, it's kind of the flip of um, Thanksgiving week. Yes. Because every year, Thanksgiving week, a lot of people get Thursday and Black Friday off, and a fair amount of people get that. Wednesday off, right? And so that's at the end of the week. And this, the days off were at the beginning of the week. And the funny thing is because the 4th of July and how it's structured, it's always based around when the 4th is, right? So next year, July 4th is going to be on a Thursday. So it'll be a Thanksgiving type week that year. Basically, yeah. It'll be Thursday and then it'll be the Friday that everyone's just kind of off. So a lot of the stuff's going to be after July 4th rather than before July 4th, kind of like this year, July 4th was kind of the culmination of it. And you and I were talking about how by the night of the 4th, everyone was kind of tapped out a little bit, right? Yeah, it, it is kind of funky. I, I'm just glad that, you know, this uh, this strenuous, tough week, uh, we've made it to Friday night. It doesn't feel like a Friday night. To be honest, it feels like a Tuesday or Wednesday night. So here we are. We've made it. And then next week we'll get back to normal. But the Ramoslaw.com text line, 303-713-1043. Uh, as we have some guests in the background, is uh, is hot, Mace, because we closed the drive with Cecil and Matt Smith filling in today. They were having a debate. I don't know if you caught any of it, but was Russell Wilson ever a superstar in the NFL? They could not have differed more, and I took a side. I want to hear your initial just gut reaction to that very broad question. Was Russell Wilson at one point a superstar in the NFL? If you're a top-level quarterback, then by definition, I think you're a superstar. It's your team, Matt Smith. Yes, absolutely. And I think you look around and you look at the production, you look at what the team was, and and especially once the lesion of boom started fading and they couldn't re-sign everybody, and it there were years where you watch the Seahawks and you're like, Russell Wilson's keeping this thing afloat. The reason, you know, you're you're looking at like a – a season in 2018 where they make the playoffs and their defense isn't all that great, but Russell Wilson has a passer rating just under 111, and he's got 35 touchdowns and seven picks to say nothing of what he's doing on the ground. Russell Wilson looked like a superstar quarterback that year. He looked like a superstar type of quarterback. Uh, the following year, he looked like an, a superstar type of quarterback flirting with MVP for much of 2020. So, yeah, I, I mean, I... I, I don't know what Cecil said because I wasn't listening, but this sounds like something we might have to chop up on Orange and Blue Day at some point. Yeah, I'm pretty I, sure I don't think I could disagree with him more on this. Here was the gist of what Cecil was saying and sort of what I said because I was actually kind of on Cecil's side here too is that Russell Wilson was a byproduct in retrospect, and I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but he was a byproduct of a Hall of Fame coach, a Hall of Fame running back, 
a Hall of Fame defense, and a unit that earned its own nickname as one of the best in NFL history in the Legion of Boom and single-handedly dismantled the best offense in NFL history, the 2013 Broncos, in a 43-8 to beatdown that none of us will forget for the rest of our lives. So Russell Wilson sort of landed in the perfect situation, and again, with the benefit of hindsight, there was not a better place for a third-round pick to go than literally surrounded by a Hall of Famers where he could grow into his role and not have to be the star. And then once you said, like you said, the Legion of Boom fizzled out, Marshawn Lynch retired. I mean, the Seahawks, they didn't make it back to another Super Bowl. They didn't. They haven't been to a Super Bowl in, in 10 years, and it sort of feels like Russ couldn't carry them there, whereas other superstar QBs do carry their teams to Super Bowls without great, great talent around them. I mean that's sort of that is the, that is the critique, and, then, and you look at, uh, for example, I mean you could even look at uh, Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City as they started to kind of lose some pieces, and they then lose Tyree Kill, and they still win the whole thing. But at the same time, I would also say, okay, do they not have one of the top two or three tight ends in NFL history at their disposal? So, you know, there there are there are kind of, there's the other thing is also. I don't want to – you try not to get too caught up in, like, individual results, and I, and I try to kind of look at the, the bigger picture of it. And um, and, I, and it's even though Wilson struggled in Denver, it's still hard for me to get past watching so many times when Russ would go beyond the structure of the play and bail out the Seahawks. And that did really happen a lot. And that's what's yeah. His prime use. Uh, it, that's where he earned the nickname Houdini and was sort of yeah. this magician of always escaping surefire sacks. Sort of, sort of what Mahomes is doing in the present day, I guess. Yeah, and, and I mean uh, that, that that and I'm I'm not sure that 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 the 2018. I don't think the 2018, 2019, even 2020 Seahawks would have been even playoff teams without Russ doing what he did. And I would even ar- argue this. Although it was definitely beneficial for Russ to have those Hall of Famers around him when he got to Seattle, do they, you know, do they win Super Bowl Forty Eight with an average quarterback? I don't believe they do. I don't believe they get there with an average quarterback. Oh, okay. Well, do they win the actual game? Yes. They could have won with me at quarterback that night, but do they do they get there? Okay, that's a different conversation. They had an epic NFC title game against Colin Kaepernick and the 49ers, but I mean, Mace Russ didn't do anything special in New York on that night, did he? He was fine. He he wasn't the guy. He wasn't the guy driving them, but at the same time, he was also taking advantage of a Bronco defense that was severely lacking from a personnel perspective. But I but are they there? If, uh, if, if are they there without Russell Wilson? I don't think so. And 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 that's sort of the the, the other thing that kind of comes into play uh, with um, with a lot of these teams that have great defenses that do that do win it all. You gotta you gotta get something out of the quarterback position. Uh, and e- even the Broncos in 2015, when Peyton Manning was struggle was struggling, well, Peyton had enough left in his mind to be able to and what he could do that way to be able to ensure that the Broncos did take advantage of that great defense that they had that yeah and Peyton also threw two incredibly cut clutch touchdowns in the AFC title game that year uh both to Owen Daniels both that I believe he changed the changed the play on each after he recognized the coverage and both throws were 
could not have been better. The first one, he got Daniels wide open uh, down the seam in the middle of the field. And the second one, I still don't know how he placed that ball where Owen Daniels could get two feet inbounds. And the Broncos got out to a very nice lead on the Patriots. And then, and then we do know that the defense held on for dear life with some phenomenal plays down the stretch. Yeah, and and then that's that's basically that's basically what it takes. Even if you've got a great defense, at some point, and really, I would say almost unless you're like the. Uh, Unless you're the the Ravens uh, back in 2000 when they somehow rode uh, rode Trent Dilfer, but uh, even like you go back to the '85 Bears and they're an all timer. Well, Jim McMahon when he was healthy was actually a really good quarterback back in those days. The the, the thing is he couldn't stay healthy, but he was actually a really good quarterback. And so you do need that. And so if I mean just name your average quarterback circa 2013. I don't think the Seahawks get there, but if you give them a guy who I think for most of his career has been a legitimate top 10 quarterback like Russell Wilson, then then absolutely that that's what it takes that that's what's up to get game over the top. All right, well while we're on this conversation, it's actually a fun list uh sparked by Dan Hansis from the uh, nfl.com and the around the NFL podcast and he has named seven quarterbacks as current superstars in the NFL. Um, and Russell Wilson was one that was on his list last year and fell out this year. Have you seen this, Mace, or do you care to take a stab um, at, at, at who a respectable writer and podcast host thinks are the seven superstar quarterbacks currently in the NFL and, and why Russell Wilson is no longer on their level? Okay. All right. Then let me try to name them, okay? You haven't seen this for the record. I have not seen this. Okay. Patrick Mahomes. Yep. Josh Allen. There you go. Joe Burrow. Yes. Uh, And I think I want to be clear. He doesn't tier him, but I think you just hit the top tier, right? Yes. And then the next four, we're still calling them superstars, but maybe a step or two behind, certainly a step or two behind Mahomes and Burrow. And then then I guess some extent Josh Allen too, but we all know Josh Allen's got to win the big one at some point. Okay, so we're talking that next tier, you're thinking – there's something incomplete about the resume. So that's the Justin Herbert tier, right? Yep. So you're now four for four because Herbert is one of these seven. Okay. I'm going to guess because he would be on my superstar list, Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson has made this as well. He, he has an MVP to his name. Um, yes. And, and, he just, and he just secured the bag. Which I think was probably weighing on him a little bit, the, the yeah. contract stuff, and I think he'll play freer and looser this year with that bag. Yeah, and the, the key is stay healthy because the, the thing that's working against Lamar Jackson is the last two Decembers he's been injured. Correct. So, yeah, if you're Baltimore, that's one team where even though you've paid an awful lot to Lamar Jackson, you don't scrimp on the backup quarterback if you're the Baltimore Ravens. And, indeed, with Huntley last year, he still did enough to get them to the playoffs and gave them a chance in the playoffs. So I think if they ride Huntley, they're going to be fine. Okay, so I got five. I'll give you two hints here. One is in the twilight, and the other is a rising star. Could not get more different points in their careers. The rising star has to be Jalen Hurts. Correct. Okay. The The twilight is a... The man got okay. That's got to I, I would say that's got to be. It's got to be Rogers or Stafford. It's Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, it's Aaron Rodgers. You got. Oh, you got it on your first interesting. Guess. I mean, 
I mean, we're as Gary Kubiak would say, we're fixing to find out on Aaron Rodgers, right? Yeah, but I you're think getting the, him out of Green Bay, you're getting him back with Hackett, his guy. But Hackett's going to be calling plays for him for the first time. It was, you know, of course, Matt Lafleur calling the plays up in Green Bay. But the four MVPs, the Super Bowl, the what, the seventeen NFC title games? I'm I'm exaggerating, but the six NFC title games. It's sort of like I like Tom Brady would have been on this list last year, even though Tom Brady wasn't the same guy in 22. It's almost like they're still in that superstar tier because. It's a little bit lifetime achievement award when you when you make it to that level, I guess. Has anybody lost more conference title games than Aaron Rodgers? By the way, let's. That's a great question because I, that that was my joke because it feels like every single year he loses in some negative twelve degree game at Lambeau Field. Um, although this this past year it was the end of the regular season, and the year before that it was in the divisional round. I want to say maybe the mm-hmm. wild card round to the. To the Niners on the blocked punt, but it's but just almost always at home. I mean, except like exactly. The, How it, could you be a Lambo season ticket holder, Mace, when you just know every year is Raheem Moore to the Packers? Like for the Broncos, that happened once. Right? Well, I mean, it's happened more times. The 05 AFC title game, Jaguars. I get it, but that's once a decade. For the Packers fans, it happens every year. This thing started with Favre too, because like there was a point where they had never lost a playoff game at Lambeau Field, and then it was Michael Vick. And the Atlanta Falcons went up there 20 years ago and clobbered them in the pri- in prime time. And ever since then, the Packers have been a remarkably pedestrian home playoff team. Yeah, I mean, you think of Tom Coughlin's face freezing off yes. when the Giants went up there and beat them. Yeah, it's just it's heartbreaker after heartbreaker. So it, it, it's fascinating. Do you want to hear the... the he kicked out uh, Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott from the superstar tier. I'm not sure Prescott should have ever been in the superstar tier, but he doesn't make it this year. And his close calls, he lists, he does not list your guy Stafford. He lists Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Deshaun Watson. A year from now, I think you might have Trevor Lawrence on that list because there are a lot of stars aligning for the Jaguars to have a really big year. They could make the Super Bowl. I don't think that would shock anyone. When McManus signed with them, Mace, I wrote at denversports.com, McManus picked a Super Bowl contender. And, of course, a lot of yahoos in the comments said, what are you talking about, Super Bowl contender? And I'm like, pause the brakes here, guys. They went into Kansas City last year and gave the Chiefs a very competitive game in the divisional round of the playoffs. And Trevor Lawrence is a year older. Doug Peterson's an elite head coach. Yeah, Brandon McManus plays for a Super Bowl contender now. He does. He does. And the other thing also in their favor is you're in a division where you're going to probably get four games against rookie quarterbacks. Assuming Anthony Richardson is a starter in Indianapolis, uh, you know we we know that uh, C.J. Stroud Stroud's going to be the starter in Houston, and then the Titans. I mean, the Titans might have a rookie quarterback of their own. Wow! If uh, if if Will Levis can show enough, but even if it's Ryan Tannehill, that's a team that is very much in a transitory phase right now. So the Jaguars have an excellent chance of of running up 6 and 0 in their division. Whereas you look at the Chiefs having to deal with Justin Herbert and the Chargers and you assume the Broncos are going to be better and then you go out to the AFC East where the worst team in that division has arguably the greatest head coach in the history of the sport. Correct, yep. There are there are no layups in the AFC East for the Buffalo Bills. And then the North, you've got Burrow and Lamar. Yes, and, and then 
The third best team in that division is Pittsburgh, which has never had a losing season with Mike Tomlin. And then you've got Cleveland and Deshaun Watson. He again, he could play his way back in. So like, honestly, like the the, the bold prediction I'll make right now on the AFC, Jaguars are going to have the number one seat. The fourteen and three Jaguars are the yes. one seat. Now that you say that, the loud. best team, yeah, but they're going to have the number one seat. The road to the Super Bowl thing is going to go through North Florida. Now that you say it out loud, it makes a lot of sense and. Man, I don't know about you, Mace. It'd be nice to watch Patrick Mahomes have to play an AFC title game somewhere other than Arrowhead. It, it would be nice, but the thing is, if the Broncos sneak in and get one of those last playoff spots, it means they're almost certainly going on the road in the first round to play Kansas City or Buffalo or uh, or Cincinnati or Baltimore. Yeah, if I mean, your scenario plays out, that you're right, because there's only one bye now yeah. with the seven teams getting in. Uh, what do you make of Fields and, I mean, Watson, he to be fair to this author, he says Deshaun Watson was in the club before, well, everything. Um, everything's a good way to put it. I, I think Watson, man, he's missed too much time. He's got too much baggage. I don't think he'll ever be a superstar in this league again, despite that absurd contract Cleveland gave him. Whereas Fields is an interesting one, particularly because we all know the Denver connection of the, the, the decision George Payton had between Pat Sertan II and Justin Fields. Well, it's funny because I, I, I actually do think with Deshaun Watson, there is all that baggage, yes, no doubt. But as a quarterback, he is good enough. And the other thing that he has going for him is that as a play caller and an offensive designer, Kevin Stefanski is good enough. And... We've all, we, we saw it happen back in 2020 when Baker Mayfield was the quarterback. So Cleveland is not a team that you can sleep on, but but this is but this, this is going to be a team that either, either they're rolling or it's a beautiful disaster. And their history would suggest beautiful disaster because that's would. just what the Browns do. Yeah, and 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 the other thing you mentioned how you know just what's in their division. Lamar and the Ravens, who go to the playoffs most years, and Burrow and the Bengals, and Burrow clearly looks like he, to me, Burrow, you and and I said it, that top three tier has some separation. Allen, Burrow, Mahomes. I think they're they're really the top level. That's the God tier of quarterbacks right now. But uh, Fields, and then Justin Fields is Hansis mentions, and, uh, you know, we're going to get a look at him in in, uh, week four. The bear, the Bears actually are putting together a pretty nice roster right now. And being able to maximize what they got back in that trade from Carolina because uh, Carolina wanted to move up and get Bryce Young, you start looking and say, okay, you've given, you've given Fields now a top-level uh, receiving talent in DJ Moore coming over. And... You know, there's there are not many wide receiver ones that are better. I think that's going to help Fields become more settled, trust his pocket a little bit because he's going to have that guy who's going to who even if he's covered can make plays. And Chicago, and also that division, Aaron Rodgers is out of the NFC North. Minnesota is a prime regression candidate because of all Agreed. the all the close games they had last year. Would it shock me? It would not shock me at all if we're sitting here at as as the season goes on and saying Chicago and Detroit, both teams that are fighting for first place in the NFC North, and they, and the NFC as a whole is so wide open. 
that who's to say you can't get a little bit of momentum, get, conf- get, get confidence, especially the Bears with a young quarterback who is very dynamic. Uh, the, ba- the Bears could make that stunning leap, and if they do, Justin Fields is going to be the big reason why, and we will be talking about him in this conversation. All right, well, that's a, that's a fair point. I, I think Philly and San Fran sort of separate above the rest in the NFC, yeah. but you're right. I mean, someone's got to win the North, and that means they're hosting a playoff game. Do you think, though, and this is sort of the million-dollar question, and I'll ask you today, we're going to have a lot clearer answer, uh, oh, I guess about six, seven months from now, but as we sit here on July 7th, 2023, do you think it was a mistake for George Payton to take Pat Sertan II over Justin Fields based on what we've seen from both thus far? Obviously very, very, very good from Sertan and Fields on the rise. Well, Cecil Lamb and I did an orange and blue today on this, um, and so you can find that at the Denver Sports Digital Channels. So you can basically find the long version, but the short version is the Broncos, I believe, would be in better shape. Because not only would you have the young quarterback, but you have the draft capital that you sacrificed to get Russell Wilson, mm. and you have the cap space that is being used to pay Russell Wilson now and in the future. You've completely changed the landscape of the roster. You wouldn't have certain, but what if you got on Asante Samuel Jr. in the second round that year? Wow. He's not on Sertan's level, but he's pretty good. And then all of a sudden you're looking around and you let's say you had that first round pick in 2022 instead of trading it for Russell Wilson. Okay. Charles Cross at ta- as one of the tackles, which means you didn't pay $17.5 million to Mike McGlinchey this offseason, which means you spent it somewhere else. And all of a sudden you've constructed a completely different roster that may well be in better shape to contend. And you're looking at like six contributors rather than just one in right. Russ. It's and, and it's not like it's not like we have in this conversation Russ is playing at a superstar level and we're saying, well, the trade was worth it and the contract was worth it because Russ is going to carry the Broncos past the Chiefs. We're sitting here going, man, not only would you have Fields, but you would have X, Y, and Z. And, oh, by the way, you wouldn't be saddled with Russ, the loss of draft capital, and perhaps the worst contract in NFL history. So I'm with you overall. I think it's, I think it's a no-brainer. I love Pat Sertan II, and that's what people don't understand about this conversation. We're not sitting here knocking Sertan. He may be the best corner in the NFL. We're just arguing that quarterback is so much more valuable than the position he plays that based on the butterfly effect, the dominoes that have fallen since that that decision was made, the Broncos would have been much better off selecting Justin Fields that night. Right. I know DMAC likes to argue positional value, but I think that's just the tip of the iceberg here. It's about looking around the roster and saying, okay, you had this first-round pick to go – to go do something, and you got an, another offensive tackle, and you had this second-round pick to go do something. You had somebody else. I mean, what if what if we're talking about a scenario where you drafted a first-round running back this year, and you're saying and and you're saying, oh, we got uh, Javante Williams, we also got Bijan Robinson in there. I mm. mean, supporting supporting Justin Fields. Um, and instead, we have Nick yeah. Benito, right? And, and I mean, that's not a huge knock on Benito, but based on how decimated you were by the Russell Wilson trade. That was the grand prize. I mean, hopefully it'll end up being Dulcich, but this is a different conversation about the excitement level we'd have if Bijan Robinson was in orange and blue. I know it's two different drafts than the Nick Benito going into year two. Yeah, exactly. And it's and, and Nick's got to show a little bit, got to show more. And there's there's still some uh, some chapters to be written in his book. But uh, when you're talking when you're talking about Nick Benito kind of being the prize, but we're looking at this alternate universe where. 
you may you may have Justin Fields and Asante Samuel and Charles Cross and and then Bijan Robinson and a couple more second round picks. That that's hard to that's hard to look at and say okay you're in a better position now. And again, with the money you're not paying Russell Wilson, that's money that you're spending in free agency. So yeah. who's to say that you didn't supplement that with another key free agent or two? And the Walton Penners have, have proven in their first full offseason they are not afraid to spend. Uh-huh. And just final thought on this, it's also not a knock on Marvin Mims and Drew Sanders for for this rookie class, but there's a reason 62 players went ahead of Marvin Mims, and there's a reason 66 players went ahead of Drew Sanders. Mm-hmm. They didn't pick until that late because of the Russell Wilson deal. Right. And, and the Sean yeah. Payton deal. And the Sean Payton deal. you got to be clear on that. And the thing that happens when, you, when you're a team that does not have a first-round pick or an early second-round pick is that because those are the top young players coming onto that roster, I feel like that can lead to some unreasonable expectations. Yes, like Nick Benito. You're saying, oh, well, this is like our first-round pick. Well, no. And Nick Benito, he's picked 64, right? And he's picked 64 at a position that is right behind QB in terms of how teams prioritize it in the draft, which means you turn around and you're talking about a a number 64 edge rusher is almost like a fourth or a fifth round pick if you're talking about a, an interior defensive lineman or safety, right? Yeah. And 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 so that's why you just kind of you have to keep the expectations reasonable relative to the position where the player was drafted but unfortunately you get kind of caught up in that pattern of saying oh well he's got to be like a first round pick because he's the first guy he's the first guy they brought in and so i think it's a little bit unfair to nick benito too who would have known that is russell wilson a superstar could lead us to nick benito (laughs) but that was a fun way to kick off denver sports tonight coming up on the other side pat Shermer is back in the state of Colorado with a football job. Yes, that Pat Shermer. It's Denver Sports Tonight on Denver Sports Station. 104.3 The Fan. He's Andrew Mason. I'm Will Peterson. The Ramoslaw.com text line is 303-713-1043. If you want to get in, lots of good reaction coming into that first conversation. Like I said, went from is Russell Wilson a superstar or was he a superstar to Nick Benito, but we are going to turn our attention, Mace, to someone who is not a superstar, and that would be one Pat Shermer. Uh, not successful at all as an NFL head coach, 19-46 and 46 career record. Comes here for the Broncos offensive coordinator. It goes about as poorly as you would think. He's been out of football since, and today we learn that Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, has hired Pat Shermer uh, as some sort of assistant uh, analyst, whatever. I'll get the exact title on the staff up in Boulder. I know you got a lot to say about this, May, so I'm just going to let you go. Give me your gut reaction and then your your memories or lack thereof good ones of Pat Shermer in orange and blue. My first gut reaction is, are they going to practice in completions? <laughs> Shadur Sanders is about to get a new way of coaching. Oh, that was one of his all-timers. We were actually trying to throw incompletions. I mean, come on, man. I mean, they were. I mean, they were practice doing like practicing clock stopping the clock. But I mean, let's face it. Um, did Drew Lock need any experience practicing incompletions? No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. The, but the the one I'll always remember is um, one day 
he was asked about like what kind of stuff from the numbers crunchers that he considered, what kind of analytics. And the thing is, Pat Shermer had an arrogance about him up there. I would feel, based on how the Broncos' offense was doing, it was an unjustified arrogance. And based on the dude's resume, it's not, yeah. it's not like he walked in with his Lombardi trophies. Oh, you know, he, yeah. He, this this guy had two full-time head coaching jobs in the NFL and then a one-game interim stint in Philadelphia. Both of his full of his full-time head coaching gigs in the NFL, his teams went 9 and 23. So September 23rd should be celebrated as Pat Shermer Day. <laughs> 923, baby. There you go. That's like July 9th used to be Jeff Fisher Day, 7 and 9. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that I mean he hasn't. He doesn't have any leg to stand on. He doesn't, as a head coach, certainly he doesn't have any skins on skins on the wall, as John Fox used to say. Um, I mean, does he understand offensive football? Yeah, and I think uh, maybe the connection that dri- that uh, that drives this is uh, that uh, for a while he worked under Andy Reid in Philadelphia, right? It hasn't really helped him much since then, but, hey, he worked for Andy Reid. But that's another thing. When I think back on Pat Shermer as a Broncos coach, knowing that he'd worked for Andy Reid, and and we know how good Andy Reid's teams have been off buys. And so I, I thought, okay, you know, here's a guy who spent, I think, a decade of his life working for Andy Reid, right? Maybe you've got an idea as to why – they why his teams do so well after buys. Nope, he's like didn't he said I don't know. <laughs> so he was just kind of like, like I don't want to be too strong or make it personal, but he was he was just kind of an arrogant dude that didn't really have a the footing to be arrogant. It sounds. I mean, I I I spent little time around Pat. I was down there some training camp, the occasional practice. You were there every day. It sort of sounds like this dude had an inflated sense of self for what he had accomplished versus what he had done in his previous stops in reality, and especially the way the Broncos' offense looked in that year, which, by the way, Mace, Pat Shermer has not had another coaching gig since being dismissed by the Denver Broncos until Coach Prime hires him today. Right. And, um, I mean, that it, it just... And I've and I've you know heard some things about him not necessarily being you know not being the nicest person in the world in you know with, with team staff and that kind of thing. So, I don't think too highly of him. And then... His, you know, the the arrogance, the way he and and the way he would just dismiss anything, right? Um, I mean, I think he, he had this wasn't so much arrogance. This was kind of comical, but I mean, he he talked one day about how he wasn't on social media and didn't understand. He said, like, I, "I get why you guys have to do it, but I, I just don't get understand social media." And that turned into a discussion about how he still uses a pencil, and he pulled it out from behind his ear. Ah, congratulations, buddy! You want a cookie? Like, come on, man! That's yeah. such a that's such a I'm old school and I'm better than you. That's like Matt Patricia putting the stupid thing in his ear. How, how's life working out as a football coach for Matt Patricia recently? Yeah, I mean, in in retrospect, the only reason why um, the 2021 offense it wasn't great, but it was passable. I don't think it had to do with Pat Shermer. I think it had to do with the fact that the quarterback that they had playing that year had the highest passer rating of any post Peyton Broncos quarterback in the last over the last several years, mm. and that was Teddy Bridgewater. I think it had more to do with Teddy than what what little success the offense did have in twenty twenty one. I think it had more to do with Teddy than with Pat Shermer. And I want to make it clear that Deion Sanders has hired 
Pat Shermer is an offensive analyst is the term that is being used. So he's not going to be an OC. Uh, You certainly wouldn't think he's calling plays or anything like that on game day. Is this just a case of Rick George has sort of told Deion Sanders, I will give you every resource possible, and Deion thinks if Pat can even add – a 1% increase in our offensive IQ, it's worth having him here. I'm, I know you mentioned the Andy Reid thing. I'm just sort of like if we shift this from, you know, sort of how how bad he was with the Broncos to trying to make sense of this with the Buffs, I don't really know how this makes Shadur Sanders or, or Dion's offense any better today than it was 12 hours ago. Well, I think it's also this is a sport of connections, right? And there were a lot of rumors about, Deion Sanders bringing in Mike Zimmer in some capacity. The yep, former I remember coach. those. Yes, and of course, how does Dion know Mike Zimmer? He played for Mike Zimmer when uh, when when Zimmer was an when his assistant coach back in Dallas in the nineteen nineties, right? Well, Pat Shermer had some success as Mike Zimmer's offensive coordinator, and in fact, was so successful in ninety seven or seventeen. Pardon me with. Case Keenum at quarterback. That's what got. That's what got him a second head coaching job with the Giants, which of course ended with a nine and twenty three record, as we mentioned earlier. So, I think that it's. I think this is just a matter of, okay, maybe Mike Zimmer just did, didn't want to be involved for whatever, whatever. Although, although didn't Zimmer did Zimmer actually come over? Is he an analyst? Did, did Zimmer take that job? It, that one, that that one's been unclear to me because it's been a rumor for so long. Like his Wiki, Mike Zimmer's Wikipedia page says analyst at Colorado. So maybe it did get done. I mean, but that that sort of goes back to my original point of like Rick George is sort of just telling Dion, you can hire whoever. I don't really care. Like at some point, they made the investment in Dion. They're going to make the investment in every last person that right. Dion thinks he needs to help them win. I mean, so, I mean, basically. So, if that's the case, one way or another, you've got the defense. You've got the the head coach who basically ran the defense because he was a defensive guy. He's a defensive guy, Mike Zimmer, and then the offensive coach. The the twenty seven Minnesota Vikings, their brain trust is now in Boulder. And I'm looking. I'm looking back. These these did come out in late January um, yeah. from reputable sources: NBC Sports, Sporting News, USA Today. That. Dion apparently confirmed Mike Zimmer's on his staff. It's not like we're having a press conference from Mike Zimmer. We're hearing from him all the time, so it's fresh in our minds. But you're right. To some extent, he got the band back together with Zimmer and now Shermer. Yeah. I mean, do they get do they get bios on the uh, CU website, though? That's, I think, that's, that's actually, let me look that up real quick. Yeah, that's here. sort of like uh, you're officially on payroll or you're here uh, on behalf of some booster. <laughs> like, that, that could be the difference on... On those two things there. I, I just guess to put a bow on this, it's, you know, Pat Shermer, I've heard the stories. You've, you've vaguely referenced it. We don't need to go into it, but. Oh, Mike Zimmer's nephew's on the staff. Oh, okay. Andrew Zimmer. Well, you said it's all about connections. Um, yeah. There's stronger words we could use there, too. But I, I'll refer. Nepotism? Yeah, that's the word. Literally, I was and actually, with, with Mike Zimmer and Andrew Zimmer, literally, because nepotism it, it originally referred to a nephew, right? Andrew Zimmer is Mike Zimmer's nephew. Give me Andrew the root Zimmer of the word on there. The, the CU Buff staff. All right, then it's literally nepotism. So <laughs> there you go. But, uh, man, I, I don't know how this makes the Buffs better based on everything I've heard about Pat Shermer, but good for him getting a new gig. And I'm pulling for Coach Prime. This isn't an anti-Coach Prime thing. This is a I'm not sure how Shermer makes the Buffs better, but we'll see. Uh, we're running out of time, though, so coming up on the other side, it is Joe Sackick's birthday. So we want to get into where Joe Sackick ranks 
on Denver's Mount Rushmore. That sparked some conversation today. Plus, the Colorado Rockies, you just can't fix them. And we're taking you into your weekend. And Mace, I want to give a special shout out to Joe Sackick, Super Joe Sackick. How old do you think the president of your Colorado Avalanche turned today, Mace? 54. Yes, nailed it. Right on the head. 54 for Joe. Obviously looks great. Still in killer shape. Looks like he could get out there tomorrow on the ice. But it also makes you realize that, okay, one of your childhood icons as a professional athlete is now 54. The world's still spinning, and we're all getting a little older because I, I do, I know you do, and I certainly remember the, you know, the 28 year old version of Joe Sackick, not the 54 year old. Dude, just wait until some of your childhood sports icons qualify for Social Security. Oof. Because that's, 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 that's the phase of life right you're at. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and you're looking at like and it's between that and music, musical acts that you like, and realizing that a lot of music that you love is made by people who are no longer on this earth. Yeah, that, that's uh, true. That's true. Yeah. I guess that's the circle of life. But it is, it is sort of depressing. When I saw Joe was 54, I was like, okay, I remember Joe's shot in the 01 Stanley Cup final against Martin Brodeur, where Brodeur looked back and forth at his glove three times and. The Az went up 3-0, and it was at that moment we all knew Ray Bork was going to win a Stanley Cup. Uh, certainly that would have been, uh, quick math, 32-year-old Joe, something like that. So, yeah, time flies, I guess. It does. Oh, my goodness gracious. But uh, the, the thing is, I mean, shoot, the Avalanche are still, I, I still think of as a new franchise, at least in terms of being in Denver, because they only came in in 95, 96, moving from from Quebec, but uh, well, they're certainly the newest yeah. of the Big Four. I mean, the Rockies yeah. beat them by what three years, something like that. So, yeah. yeah. But here we are, this new franchise, and they've got key players uh, from the glory days who are uh, in 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 their fifties, and probably even probably even a few. There may be an av or two in their sixties. Now, Ray Bork's got to be on the other side, six. Yeah, sixty, right? He's got to be getting close if he isn't already there. I wanted to ask you this question though, because today, uh, and James Maryland and I had a great debate about this. A couple weeks ago. Today, when I wrote about Joe turning 54, sort of how I framed it was he's the most iconic figure in Denver sports history behind John Elway. He's he's number two. Do you think that's fair? Or is there someone you would put ahead of Joe at two? And in terms of Mount Rushmore, there's no chance that Joe doesn't have a spot. There's no way he's not he's not top four. Am I right? Uh, he's absolutely top four. I think the question is, is he... Number two, because I think you could clearly say that he, in my opinion, he was a clear number two. So we're Joe. on the same page there. Joe Sackick is the second most iconic uh, athlete, person, player in the history of Denver sports. Absolutely. And then the cherry on the Sunday for both John Elway and Joe Sackick is then adding to that legacy by coming back as executives and having the ultimate success. Exactly. They both have three rings. Their resumes are so similar, Mace. It's crazy. Yeah. Two as a player, one as an exec. Um, three championship rings. The sort of other names I threw on here were the Terrell Davises, the Patrick Waz, the Vaughn Millers, the Peyton Mannings, and he's he's now on there. He is as of as of what two and a half weeks ago, a little little longer maybe. Nicole Jokic is is creeping into that conversation. Yeah, the thing for him, if he wants, he's clearly on the Mount Rushmore. But if he wants to be number one or number two. And number one is hard, is going to be hard to get to just because of the primacy of football in this market. And 
simply how important John Elway was not only to the Broncos franchise but to sports in Colorado. But if the Nuggets become a dynasty, like let's say the Nuggets, let's say the Nuggets do a three-peat. Let's dream big, right? Whoa, we're dreaming real big, but I like I like the sound of it, so I'll yeah. roll with it. Three-peat Nuggets. Then you might have to talk about Nikola Jokic being maybe nudging uh, Joe Sackick out, even though there's not the executive con- a contribution. Oh, I'll, I'll stop you there. If they three-peat, Nikola Jokic may, may pass John Elway. He may go to number one. Ooh. I mean, th- three in a row, that's unheard of. John won two in a row, and that was unheard of. Mm-hmm. A three-peat? They, you know who three-peats? Michael Jordan. That's who three-peats. Yeah. He, he might be, if we're just going to dream big on a Friday night as the rains start to fall <laughs> here in Greenwood Village, they win two straight more titles. He, he might, he might. I mean, this is even crazy to talk about. He might pass John Elway. Fun to have the discussion, though. What's that? It's fun to have the discussion. It's great. Though. It's great, and it's he's got two MVPs. He's got a title. He's still in his prime. It's not unreasonable to think that when it's all said and done, with all due respect to Joe on his birthday, Nicole is going to pass Joe, and there's an outside chance. I'm not saying it's likely, but there's an outside chance he could pass John, too. Yeah. It, it's not unreasonable unre- to think because when you look at the this championship, even though obviously Bruce Brown moving on in free agency, you think, okay, in the finals, Michael Porter Jr. was a non-factor. And Jamal Murray was in his first year back from an ACL. Had his ups and downs. Yes. It's not unreasonable to think that next year MPJ is better and more consistent and certainly a more of a force down the stretch in the postseason and that Jamal Murray is better and really back to being pre-injury Jamal. Yeah, and that Aaron Gordon doesn't look like he's about to fall off a cliff. KCP doesn't look like he's about to fall off a cliff. Right. And Christian Brown looks like he's only going to get better. And then, you know, we didn't even get into the summer league game today, but, you know, Peyton Watson flashed today. Uh, and I think we all agree that if the Nuggets are going to be successful next year, Peyton Watson's going to have to be a, a 10, 15-minute-a-game guy for them come the playoffs. It was good watching him get some confidence the offensive end because you know the defensive end is going to be there before him. But that's what makes me excited about Peyton Watson is I could see him becoming a defensive stopper here in the next couple of years. Yeah, he had 23 today. The kid Hunter Tyson out of Clemson. Like Tyson a lot today. Yeah, second-round pick showed he could really shoot the three. And this is what makes Summer League fun because come game two, we could be talking about Strother and Pickett. Um, basically, we have 20 seconds. I got some bad news. I teased the Rockies and didn't get to them. How devastated are you? Um, I'm crushed. But I'll just <laughs> summarize it real quickly. They're getting calls on bullpen arms, but there's not going to be a fire sale. Classic Rockies. Read about it at denversports.com. For KJ, for Mace, I'm Will. It's DST on the fan. This lunch break is going to take all afternoon.